0: I'd like to welcome you to a session on working with universities, governments, and national health care. My name is Neil Thompson, and I'll be introducing our panel in a few minutes, uh, Dr. Matthew Coe, Dr. Daniel Tolan, and Dr. James Smith. Um, I'm not just filling in now. We've got very important information, but we are having technical difficulties in getting what we'd like to present up as a PowerPoint. So bear with us, and we'll try to get those things taken care of. Traditional ways of serving in medical missions have included working in mission hospitals, clinics, and dispensaries, community development, and public health. Less well-known but also significant medical mission ministries have included education, cooperating with local and national governments, including national health care, from the very beginning of the history of modern medical missions. It was in China that various methods of medical missionary service were practiced first as dispensary work, itineration, hospitals for different genders and diseases like treating people with leprosy, uh, opium, those addicted to opium in China, the production of medical literature and journals and study of indigenous medical methods and treatment and also medical education The China Medical Missionary Association was formed in 1886, following the lead of Dr. Peter Parker's Medical Missionary Society in China in 1838. Christopher Grunman uh, has said, it was the first attempt to bring to bear on all China, Western medical science, and was probably the first group of any kind, of any school or medicine, to begin to plan for the health of an entire empire. Medical missionaries were committed to improving health care for the people that they served, no matter where they were in the world. Grunman has also said, where they found the absence of a medical system, as in China, they established it themselves. Where this had been taken care of by colonial governments, as in Africa, they cooperated. Whereas in India, they complemented the system that was already there. As entry into many areas of the world today has become more restricted due to security issues, especially um, these other less well-known methods of medical missions have become more significant in their contribution. Our three distinguished panelists are Dr. James Smith in the center, Dr. Matthew Coe, and Dr. Daniel Tolan. Uh, Just a little bit of background on our panelists so you can uh, get to know them. Dr. Matthew Ko is a general surgeon from Singapore who studied at the Asian Cross-Cultural Institute and has a master's in Marketplace Theology from Regent College. He is now president of MSI Professional Services. MSI seeks to serve in an integrated fashion the needs of the provinces of southwest China, Uh, Sichuan and Yunnan especially, both rural and urban settings. Matthew was appointed president of MSI in 2004, succeeding the founder, James Hudson Taylor III. His wife is Dorcas. Dr. Daniel Tolan, in the center, lived full-time in Kenya from 1989 to 2002, where he served with Tenwick Hospital. Kajabi Medical Center, Bethany Crippled Children's Center, and the Institute of Family Medicine in Kenya. He and Cindy are missionaries with World Gospel Mission on special assignment, working with missionary retention and with the Christian and Medical Associations, Christian and Dental, uh, Christian Medical and Dental Associations, CMDA. Dr. James Smith on the far side is Professor Emeritus of Oto laryngology from Oregon Health and Science University programs. He's been a visiting professor at the National University of Singapore, and he's been on the Medical Education International Advisory Council and on the board of the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons. His major interest now is how to use medical education as a mission field in today's world. His wife is Poppy. Sorry, I forgot to say that uh, Daniel's wife is Cindy, and she's probably here uh, as well. What I've asked each one to do is to share a bit about himself uh, and his ministry for about eight minutes, and then we'd like to open uh, the program up to you. Uh, We're having pieces of paper passed around so that you can write questions down, and then I will select some of the questions to – if you have it for a specific person, please write down their name. If it's in general to any of the panelists, let me know, and I'll throw that question out to them as well. So, um, Matthew, would you begin our session today in talking about MSI, your ministry, and working with um, governments? Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Our session is a key part working with government and uh,
1: health and health care. Educational system, and going will concentrate on working with governments. Uh, when we first began this work in China, and my area of focus and interest in China, we had the uh, uh, opportunity to work with the health minister of the province of Sichuan. At that point, it was 100 uh, uh, million in population. So it's a huge population, lots of people. And uh, at 1994 93, when China was just beginning to open and the health minister went up with us to one of the areas which Pohn uh, the premier, recently visited, the former premier of uh, the Chinese government. And with tears in his eyes, he explained to us the issues of HIV in this place. And he said, Don't tell anybody else. He said, We've got to be sure to gain our trust. We don't want any of this in public or in print. And over the years, we begin to find this place has got the second highest incidence of HIV. Population in the whole of China. And recently, HIV hospital has uh, just last year. Uh, I grew up in Asia, in Singapore, and we learned and benefited much from uh, mission from the West. And many of the theology came from the West. And this issue of separation and church and the state, is very much part of uh, our understanding. So, when we talk about working with governments, uh, most Christian organizations begin by thinking that the government tends to be an obstacle to our world. We'd we'll like to stay away from them as much as possible, especially communist government. And I suppose for those of us uh, working in Muslim blocks, where religion and politics are so intertwined, it became impossible to separate. And how do we then work with governing of officials? Only one extreme. Some organisations will put governments at an extreme end and ignore them. We work in a parallel system, we set our own hospitals, we do our, store, our own healthcare service, irregardless of the existing system. So the one extreme, it becomes a competition, it becomes potentially a threat to the local system, it ignores the local system. On the other extreme, we could end up being so-called propagandised by the local government, where we become integrated into the local system, become agents, in our situation, agents of communism. So there's a whole spectrum of how we work with governments and how we work with governing officials. And over the years, we've seen the, the governors, we've seen health ministers, gone with us to our work, begin to treat us as friends. Initially, they elect us, and for this bunch of Asians, are quite nice people. It's okay to give them some room to get some work done. And over time, they begin to not only like us, but want to take initiative to us. And we've had to work through over the years of research in China, yes. about the last 20 years now. How do we work with existing systems without ignoring its, its uh, consequences? So it's the governing systems have a very set-up uh, structure for China. They've got a very established system that is actually right down to the grassroots. But there are problems uh, within it. So I, I think the part of my role this China kind of decide would like to uh, perhaps still use to think more deeply about working with government officials who are friends, Try to reach out to them as people in India as well, and they, they are also hoping to do their jobs, however much the problems and the complications of, of whatever political agenda that we have. In China's situation, religion is always political, and it be foolish for any healthcare system to stay out of the governing structures, to work an independent parallel system. But let me just stir you up for, just begin with this, and allow the rest of the team to take some time and more questions. Thank,
0: Thank you very much, Matthew. Now we'll hear from uh, Dr. Daniel Tolan and his perspective from Kenya.
2: Okay, perspective from Canada and parts and Africa, uh, which I've gotten to know fairly well, and following up on what uh, Matthew said, oftentimes you do go to uh, missions and think, okay, I'm I'm here to serve missions. I don't mean red tape, government uh, offices, etc. Until you meet a, a statement uh, like uh, like I met up with, and I'll get to that. Um, Okay, you might be asking yourself a couple of questions. Do I really need to be part of the national health care system as a missionary? Uh, Is there a biblical basis or mandate for this? Uh, The answer to that is yes. Maybe you don't want to hear it. Maybe I didn't want to hear it. Um, Until I met uh, this gentleman who was the chair of the medical practitioners board in Kenya, dean of a medical school. He was a Christian man, went to church uh, working with some mission hospitals and a project, and he said, I don't see how this will work very easily. There is a lack of trust on your part directed toward us. You do not show interest in being part of us or of this country's system. We are good people, but we do not know each other. Hmm. That's kind of like a dagger in your heart, isn't it? As a medical missionary, I've been there uh, about uh, nine years when I heard this statement made to my face. And so I have some objectives here. I want you to understand the basic design of the Ministry of Health to identify the critical offices of which you need to be familiar with and to understand the value of our biblical mandate uh, for cooperation and and knowing each other. Um, And what what does God say? Is there a biblical basis? I'm going to go over this very quickly. If you want this PowerPoint email to you, let me know. Um, My email was up there at first slide. If you didn't get it... um, You can get it afterwards. Um, So yes, there is a biblical mandate. Um, There are some uh, things that say government is God's institution. Um, I think that's clear, that God directs his institutions. Um, And then that secularizing government is an affront to a holy God. Um, He created it. Uh, And whether we like to think that our civil leaders are ministers of God and that there is a reality of sovereign appointments and that wisdom comes from dependency not on our own understanding or not, uh, that's the truth of the Bible, and uh, we need to accept that. So um, in the developing world, most healthcare services can be divided conveniently into three official subsectors, the public, the voluntary, and the private. And if you look at these... Uh, much different than our country. The public subsector in most developing countries is by far and away the largest. What would that be in our country in the U.S.? It would be uh, the uh, county health department, the veteran affairs hospitals, a few things like that. Um, A very small part of our segment of health care, but a very large part in most of the world. Then there's the voluntary subsector. This would be like the American Red Cross, the WHO. Doctors Without Borders and you, as medical missionaries, you go into uh, most countries, especially in, in Sub-Saharan Africa. You're going to fit into the voluntary subsector. Um, you'll be what's called a non-governmental organization. Those can be small or big. And then there's the private subsector. In this country, guess what? That's the biggest part of. We're just a bunch of mom-and-pop organizations, a Mayo Clinic, and a and uh, John Hopkins and uh, Stanford and all of these mom-and-pop organizations working in the private, uh, private subsector uh, in medicine in our country. Um, and that's a small area in, uh, in most of the developing world. And then there's a fourth group that's kind of unofficial. These are the... Uh, the herbalists, the bone setters, the spiritual healers, other practitioners that the Ministry of Health is in charge of. So, what is a Ministry of Health? It's a government body that's established to have control over national policies, guidelines, and standards for all of those healthcare divisions and services. I was confused for a while. What is the Ministry of Health in Kenya? I thought. Um, who are these people? Why do they want to be involved in my business? Um, well, little did I know they were in charge of me, um, and I needed to know that. Um, they also managed the government or the public health services in addition to setting standards for everybody else. So there are some people you need to know. Why? Because the Bible says you need to. Um, you need to know the licensing body at the national level. You need to know the Department of Clinical and Community Services and department planning and development people at the local level. Who's responsible for your license? You go overseas? Well, what if somebody came to Kentucky here and wanted to set up a practice in a the hospital? They didn't, did not show interest in getting licensed. Uh, they didn't care about the Kentucky State Board of Medicine or anything else, and they just set up practice. What would you think of them? Um, hmm. Uh, You know, that's oftentimes what we do in other countries. That is not good testimony. Um, I never had to register with the National Medical Practitioners Board in Kenya. But after I met the dean and the chairman, I said, What can I do to become a full fledged member of the Practitioners Board? He said, You really want to? I said, Yeah. He said, There's no other missionary that's done that. I said, Well, I think I should. He said, We thought you should for a long time. <laughs> so seek to get to know somebody on that board. It's a similar function to the state medical board, um, medical and dental practitioners board, national board of nursing, board of clinical officers, board of public health people, board of physical therapists. They are all there. Get to know them. You should. You need to. They're good people. They're not bad people. They're good people. Um, at the local level, You don't need to know these people at the high national level. But at the local level, these are who you need to know. The Department of Clinical and Community Services, okay? They're going to be responsible for TB, AIDS, leprosy. They're going to have an immunization and sanitation department, community public health. And then there's going to be a Department of Clinical Services um, for formulary standards, Uh, standards of care, uh, educational standards, all kinds of different things. I knew nothing about it until I started working with the government trying to establish a residency program for Kenyan physicians. And I had to learn about it, and it was good. Know these offices at your local level as a missionary. Um, Department of Planning and Development, uh, Ministry of Health, will have some people on different boards. Um, I'm going to skip some of these things because I want to get down to a couple of things that um, I want to say. The, the, the public sector, the non-government sector, the NGOs, the missionaries, and the private sector are often at war with each other. I've seen that all across Africa. I don't know about other parts of the world, but all across Africa. They're always in competition with each other. I think it's a poor testimony and witness I think that collaboration benefits those that we are called to serve, and part of our calling is to serve those in authority over us. And collaboration will eventually benefit your ministry in one way or another. I've seen that happen over and over again as we begin to collaborate more. What's our temptations as NGOs, as volunteers? Our temptation is to come in and to say we are self Sufficient or we're self reliant. We want to be spectacular. We have that celebrity mentality. And we want to be uh, powerful. We want to be in charge. That does not present a good testimony. I think we can do better. Uh, When I, uh, we do a thing for new missionaries and orienting them uh, through CMBA. And one of the things I tell them in your first three months, Find people at the local level that I've told you to find. Go into their office. Introduce yourself and sit down and give him or her a heart attack. Say, Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Tolan. I'm, I'm new here and I want to know how I can help you meet your needs, your goals for this area of the country that you're responsible for. But they're going to drop dead because in 100 years of missions... Nobody has yet yet come into their office and said that. You know what? That's a bad testimony on our part. And I think that it's very, very critical that in the future we do better working uh, with people in the ministry of health and through the government. Uh, If you have questions, uh, you know, I don't like these things, spotlights and everything else up on you. I'd rather sit down in the chair and just talk to each one of you. You can do that over at CMDA booth. Love to talk to you. I'll be there. Uh, my
0: email will be on here. Thanks. Thank you very much, Daniel. Uh, do, we, do each of you have a piece of paper where you can write down questions? Okay. Um, I guess I pass them. Okay. Glenn is coming by. If you have any, pass them to the center aisle, and then he'll bring them up to me. Uh, thank you, Daniel. Jim? Could you talk to us about medicine and ed- education as uh, an industry around the world? Yes, you can
3: say. Oops! Now, how do I get it onto there?
2: Oh boy, that's a very good question. Any geeks here?
1: Why is computer? Somebody. <laughs> Maybe if we close. maybe if I close this close
2: it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my family that's the most important thing
1: though <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh, there we go. We got it. Woo! Okay. Old guys can't learn. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you very much, Neil. Uh, So what I want to do in the few minutes that I have is to try to convince you that uh, I think the future of missions is in education. And so what I want to try to do is to show you how medical education in different uh, aspects can be used both for short and long-term missions. Now, just to let you know my personal journey, I heard a little bit about it. My career was in academic little ergology at Oregon Health Sciences University, and so I'm prejudiced. I am, a, I am from an academic setting, and so I like teaching and so on. While I was there, I had the opportunity to do uh, two different sabbaticals overseas, which I enjoyed very much. And then I took early retirement and went as a visiting professor to the University of Singapore, where Matthew graduated from and I spent uh, two and a half years full time there and then for the last 14 years I spent either a few weeks or a few months each year there. So I think if you are going to use education to share the Lord that the most important thing is that you really have to develop genuine and caring relationships. And it's a little bit of what Daniel was just talking about with his relationship with the ministry of health. This may be as in the upper right-hand picture with Dr. Wakefield working with two different people. It may be one-on-one. Or maybe may be like in the lower picture where you're going out to a banquet with a group of people that you're working with. Now, I took a team to Kenya two years ago. And one of the team members asked Dr. Mahudia, who's in this photograph here, what he thought about short-term missions. He had seen a lot of them come and go through Kenya And he said there were three things that were necessary. Training and teaching, transfer of skills, and repeat trips. And that's how you develop the relationships that you are going to have an opportunity to share. For long term, again, you're going to to need to know the culture. You're going to have to develop those long term relationships, which takes time, and they have to learn to trust you. But once you've done that, then I think that you can be a role model as a teacher, uh, the way you treat patients, the way you handle things in the clinic, and so on. And I'm sure some of you would recognize this picture of Dr. David Thompson, who was a general surgeon at a small mission hospital in Southern Gabon. And he said after he'd been there for about 15 years, he woke up one morning and looked at himself in the mirror, and he said, who's going to do this when I leave? Or am I going to be like a pebble dropped in a lake, making some ripples for a while, and then I'm gone and nothing remains? Out of that, he had the vision of starting the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons, which we'll talk about in a minute. So here are some of the opportunities that I know about. It's not by any means exhaustive, but I've broken it down into three areas where you might be able to serve. First of all, in medical schools. There are, and particularly in Africa, there are several new medical schools uh, starting. I have some reservations about them, to be totally honest. But one of the things they are going to have a huge need for are faculty members. At all levels, basic science through clinical medicine. And so if any of you have friends who are anatomists, physiologists, pharmacologists, or whatever, there's a place for them in missions. So these medical schools are going to need a lot of help. There are also secular medical schools, like I went to the National University of Singapore, and I didn't really do that as a mission outreach, but there there were opportunities like that. One other one that I know about is in Kazakhstan, where I have been, they are starting a new English-speaking medical school. It is a great uh, tent-making opportunity because they actually will pay you and pay your way to get there, but they are looking for many more English speakers to come and teach in that medical school. The second area is residency training. That's one of the areas that we're finding now. There's a lot of interest in countries, particularly in China, in how we do our residency training. And I, after I came back from Singapore after two and a half years, I think it's one area that we do well in the U.S. So there are opportunities like the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons, where we have African surgeons... We train them in mission hospitals, not only for medically, but also spiritually to go out and serve. There are several family and internal medicine programs. And Dan was talking about the one that he helped set up in Kenya. There are others uh, in China and several other countries where there are potential programs that you could work. Dr. Jim Jewell was a missionary and Western surgeon in Western uh, Zambia. And he was about 65, and he was going to come back to the States and retire. But his mission board asked him to join the faculty at the University of Zambia in the Department of Surgery. He was appointed as Professor of Surgery, and he now is, I think he's over 80. He's been working there for 15 years, and he and his wife still go there for several months of the year as a teacher. Then there are things like faculty development. This is Dr. Lo Ching on the right. Uh, who was again one of my students in Singapore and he actually works at one of the government hospitals in, in southwest China and his, uh, his job is to do faculty development. And We actually have taken two MEI teams to help support him in doing that. Dr. Cheryl Snyder uh, joined the University of Zambia about a year ago with the same thing doing faculty development. Something that is a big need in many of these countries. So, what do you need to prepare? Well, I always like the statement that I heard John Patrick say several years ago. To be a good teacher, one needs to love their subject and love their students. And I think that really is important. For those of you who are younger, I would encourage you to think about teaching as a career path. If you get an opportunity to take education courses, I'd encourage you to do that. I wish I had an opportunity to do it. If you're a resident or in the future, uh, if you can join a faculty, whether it's at the university or a freestanding residency training program, these all help give you credentials for working overseas. So what will happen? Well, I think you will have the potential for uh, influencing a whole Generation of doctors for 30 or 40 years, spiritually and also clinically. You can be a role model as a teacher. And that was one of the things that I found when I went to Singapore. The students really didn't have a lot of role models of people who were teachers. And I think that's one of the things that you can do. And then I think just the role model of how you treat patients in the clinic, how you approach a patient, and how you make your diagnosis. These things are all very important. So what should be our voting? I think our overriding reason is to show the love of Christ, but I like this verse in 1 Peter. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. And I'd like that last sentence particularly, that we really need to be respectful of the people that we are working with if we expect them to listen to us when we share Christ with them. Thank you very much.
0: Very much Jim, we have many good questions. Uh, we won't possibly be able to cover all of the answers um, but we will get into them now. Jim has just given a very good uh, description of um, how you can prepare to be an academic um, medical person in order to be involved in MEI and to teach around the world. Uh, I'd like to address the same question to Daniel um, how, uh, and the answers need to be fairly brief, maybe one to two minutes. How does, one, does one need special preparation to, um, be in, to get involved in the national healthcare care system when you're going to work at a mission hospital in the country, or how would you prepare specially for that, Daniel?
2: I don't think you need special proof. Preparation, except maybe, maybe to de-westernize yourself. Uh, because, like I said, we tend to be self-reliant, self-sufficient, and have a, a God complex. Um, so I think you need to empty yourself of that. And, uh, you know, you, you finally have to, you're going to be effective. You finally have to begin to realize that missions is not about me. Missions is about Jesus. And Jesus is cross-cultural. Um, and uh, I am now good friends with that team of the medical school um, we talk about old trucks we both like old trucks we both like farms uh, we both like to milk cows by hand um, and you know so we're, we're, we've now come to know and understand each other it's just a matter of getting to trust each other so. um, But sometimes you just have to set some agendas aside and say uh Okay, uh, these are good people. Um, one of the questions that comes up here is um, how do you work with governments, ministries of health, when the priorities are different, there's corruption, etc.? You know, I have that view. Um, and I thought, I don't have time. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so it was, it was really a a relearning on my part to say there may be corruption. But these offices and these boards and like that are filled with good people. Oftentimes very strong, committed Christian people that are discouraged. And by me showing up and just saying, hey, how can I help you? That is a great encouragement for them to do their job and do it well. Um, so I think we can be encouragers in that Um, and you know I think that if we yeah there's going to be corruption I mean look at our system right now Um, you know there's going to be a lot of stuff that you struggle with but I I really think that we have to have a change of heart and a change of mind and and get to know people there are a lot of good people in positions that have been appointed by God thank you Daniel
0: Um, Matthew a couple would you answer the same question? Do uh, you need special preparation uh, to be a missionary to work in the part of the world where MSI works? And another question having to do with uh, something you said about religion is political. Um, how, uh, could you expand upon what you said in your talk? And I'd like to preface just a little bit. Matthew uh, went to the airport to see me off in Hong Kong last January when I went to an MSI function, and he went out of his way to sit down and spend time about the importance of getting to know what the government is doing in that area of China where they work, and that um, they only go to government churches, and they only get involved in things that people can see, and uh, that it's just a very different world from how we're used to thinking, and it was a very good introduction to me to this kind of work where he is. Uh, praise the Lord. Would you address that, Matthew?
1: I'm really glad to hear from Daniel this time. I was really keen on working in Africa before uh, Jake Taylor convinced me to go to China. Because my, my parents were very ethnocentric and said, they said I can't go to Africa I have to, have to, go. I have to go to China. <laughs> <laughs> but that aside, I'm, I still have to love Africa. Um, when I first went to China, the health ministry sent people and gave me series and series of discussions and sat down and explained the systems to I me. And I thought exactly the same thing. Why should I spend all this time trying to understand the local healthcare system? Eventually, we even came up with a document outlining the healthcare training protocol, the systems of studies, how they move on from the undergrad programs, how they get certified, how they move into systems, their barefoot doctors, healthcare personnel, their the various training program, their nursing training program, in order to know where we fit. And obviously, not all of us could do that, and not all of us can get into systems. But my experience in China is I think having a strong government, a forceful government, it would be foolish of any organization to ignore the government. It would be just a sure way to be kicked out quite quickly and we would take roots. And we lose the very purposes that we are there for kingdom, for discipleship. So some members of our team have been very seriously engaged in the system, but some of us are more clinicians. Some of us are more hands-on with relationship with people and not everybody has to be so well grounded in the educational system or or the medical healthcare system of the country. Uh, At one point, I came to the conclusion that any organization wanting to establish long-term in China needs to spend 30% time engaging governing authorities. it's, It's a waste of time. Initially, it's a waste of time. Because you wine, you drink, you get all kinds of things, you know, just well, the kind of things that missionaries don't want to do. In fact, we had the same problem. Most of our team members do not want to spend any time with these people, rather, spend all the time with discipleship. And then it became clearer to us that these government leaders, as Daniel put it, are people who need discipling. And there was once I said to the uh, Governor, together on a table with the health minister, educational minister, and the propaganda ministry. At the end of our conversation, which was about, you know, he went into riots between the Japanese and the Chinese. There were riots in Sichuan, over the Japanese premier's visit to the war, you know, veterans, and so forth. And he asked us to discuss the difference between Catholicism and Christianity. He asked us to explain the tenets of our faith. At one point, the police came after us saying, that you, how are you different from this cults? China has five official religions, Christianity is an official religion. They asked us to define ourselves, what is the basis of our faith, how are we different from this cults? So we are, we are really doing evangelism with the governing officials. So if we begin to turn around to realize that spending time with these government leaders are an important part of discipleship. And I, just a few more, I think it's important triangles to think about. One is relationships. I think for most of us all over the world, relationships is everything, not just Chinese. We need a good relationship with the, our neighbours and the people we work with. The other arm is the quality of service that we give. And the third is the social-political issues. And if this triangle gets larger, there's more space for this membership. If you put in more, you meet, felt needs more, you stretch the triangle further if the political situation gets freer, you have more freedom for evangelism. You you have stronger relationships, you have more trust, you get more space in the triangle. Uh, but if any one part collapses, you've got zero space. And that's the reason why I think in China religion is always political. It took us a long time to realise that when the government is transitioning they want everything frozen. You know, When Xi Jinping was about to take over the leadership of China, there was across China control of many Christian groups and those who tried to hold activities would just stop from meeting. It took us a long time to wise up to know that at certain political times we should lie low, at certain times we can have more space. To recognize that uh, in many countries we can't really separate religion from politics. I suppose for Muslim countries, that's a key, that's a major issue. For China, is definitely very intertwined. I hope that's, that's a starting point to get us thinking about working with the system. Th- thank you very much, Matthew. Uh,
0: Let me take, take care of a few small questions, and then I'll ask Jim to um, ask uh, what kind of, what, what do you need to do to um, apply to be a physician, say, a part of MEI and then maybe an example of uh, how you've seen an impact at a university somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Around. Okay. Uh, before that, how do you get uh, questions about passports and visas? And uh, that's, not a, that's not a hard thing to do. Uh, you get a passport before you leave the country. The visa would need to be through the um, through the country that you're going to be visiting. And, uh, yeah, we need to follow the laws of the Medes and the Persians
3: what if that country has no uh, embassy or consulate in that country? What do you do to get a visa
0: then? Uh, I don't know. Do they have a, Do they have a consulate in this country?
3: But Liberia, or either one.
0: yeah, I don't know those specifics. Yeah. Uh, do you think we should be licensed in our um, in our area of medicine? Uh, And I would say, yes, all of us should be licensed and uh, potentially boarded and uh, fellowships. Those things are all important. And then um, many, not all countries, but most countries require, as Daniel was saying, that you be licensed in their country uh, to practice medicine there. I think, just to add to that,
2: if you're going to be in a country of service and you're an ophthalmologist, be licensed in that area, in that country and join the local board of ophthalmology or general surgery or internist or something or other. Those groups are there, and I think they're important.
0: As an osteopathic physician, there are countries that won't acknowledge my medical license. Uh, yes, we have issues like that, but I, uh, I think give them time. They will. I mean, when I have people like that applying to our organization, I say, I understand that the standards are equivalent across medical, osteopathic and that kind of thing. In time, those countries will understand it as well. Uh, make sure that uh, mission reps that you have in that country, in your mission agency, that they know what an osteopathic physician is and that they're on a, an equivalent line of training and practice with medical doctors. Good Jim, would you share with us a bit?
3: Well, I have a question. I'll, I'll expand on what you said, uh, Neil, but also the question I have is, uh, in a subspecialty surgery, is it easier to connect and educate through working under a U.S. medical university with an overseas medical school or by working directly under the overseas medical school itself? I think you could do either one, and I know some medical schools here in the U.S., particularly Indiana University, has a connection with one of the medical schools in Kenya and several of my friends who are Christians who have worked uh, in that way. I think, depending on the country, one of the problems may be if you go through a medical school, you may be somewhat inhibited as how much you can witness. And so that's something you may need to look at and think about. Now, specifically, as far as Medical Education International is concerned, we do mainly teaching teams. They're usually one to two weeks in length. Uh, Anybody who is interested, just contact us. We have a booth with all the other CMDA booths, uh, and we have uh, opportunities for almost all specialties. One of the things that we have found is that a lot of people, particularly who are very subspecialized or in research or basic science, and then say, Well, there's no room for for me on missions that is not true. We get a lot of requests, particularly as I was mentioning, about from medical schools that want basic science teachers to come and teach. Uh, we have people, we have places like in China where we go to universities they'd love to have somebody come who's a research person and can uh, help them talk about research projects, how to set up research projects. We had someone go to one of the, the medical schools in Ula Bantar, Mongolia. Uh, who was a research person and she was very well received and they wanted us to bring more people like that. So there are opportunities it's it's a matter of looking for them. and uh, I would encourage you if you haven't done this before, possibly going with a group that has done it uh, but then you may be able to find opportunities for yourself. Be on the lookout. Thank you, Jim. Uh,
0: Daniel, you've got a question in front of you. Do you summarize that?
2: Okay. Um, one of these uh, questions asks about, um, well, let me see,
0: what questions here? Pick one.
2: Okay. Faith-based clinics working in single-payer systems of insurance were the implications for missions for government insurance. Um, and I'm sure that this is asking somewhat about... Um, Well, after years and missions, I believe nothing should be free. Okay? Go to last night's lecture. Uh, If you didn't, get it on the Internet and uh, hear Brian Fickert and others. I don't think anything should be free. I think people appreciate what they pay for in some way. Um, Where there's a single-payer system of insurance, yeah, you're going to be part of that and be glad for it because it gives you uh, some source of income. Most places I know, though, single-payers of insurance don't cover all the costs, and uh, patients will uh, help supplement that in, in some way. Um, but every country is going to vary, and all the comments we've said here may not apply everywhere. So. Um, but I, I think single-payer systems of insurance are going to be more uh, common in the future. And we're going to have to live within those things in in mission, and I think it's going to be a helpful thing.
0: Thank you very much, Matthew. Do you have any uh, very brief stories on how you've seen uh, government official, uh, hospital, government officials impacted by the uh, ministry that MSI does, or by MSI people who have worked there? Do you have any um, uh, feel-good story?
1: Let me just give one example. Uh, about 18 years ago, we started work with this area among a minority tribe in the mountains in Sichuan. And uh, it's very high up in the altitude. It's very cold in winter. It's uh, sub-zero, and there was no uh, facility in the hospital. So they asked us for money, and we often had to begin with some money. So we gave 20,000 RMB. A month later, we came back and it was buy some uh, surgical equipment. We asked to look at it, and they said they were stolen. That's it. So you know, we, we you win some, we lose some, and I we, I think we can't avoid the existence of corruption in any institutions, <coughs> any systems, and having to work through that. Over some years later, they asked us to uh, put money to plant trees and make the hospital nicer, so we planted nine trees, and they were Galatians 22. and we planted two pine trees in the copper One was righteousness, and one was grace. We can't we can't evangelize publicly, but we will talk about these Christian values. And we've served that with TB projects, HIV projects, and all kinds of surgical training and so forth. And maybe about three, four years ago, the, uh, the uh, party secretary, that's the highest ranking person in the healthcare system in that location, invited me for a private luncheon. She said, I need to see you personally. And she said, lady, I'm a, I'm a man, my wife didn't come with me. So I invited another woman in our team to come along. She said, I need to apologize to you that over 10 years ago, we took $20,000 of your money, we pocketed it. But every day we look at this tree, righteousness and grace. And we saw what you did with us over these years. We can't be people without righteousness, people without grace. And there's a Chinese word for it, Wang fu.' It's a Chinese idiom, which means without righteousness, without grace. It took a long time and we, we've seen transformation in the lives of uh, government officials the police came to me and said to me that no you guys uh, are allowed to ju- do just works of love you're not allowed to proselytize and there was once i was asking him what's the difference between christianity and this cults there were a lot of cults around there he said that he used the whole bible he <laughs> told me that we used the whole bible and you were really genuine christians we've seen a lot of testimonies like this i think if we begin to turn around instead of thinking the government as our obstacles if we begin to see them as people needing the grace of God needing to meet God and we are agents of grace in this hands and these are fields of discipleship I've got this question how do you hold a balance between working with government health systems and not getting pulled so deep that you don't have time for discipleship I think if we begin to see that all of life, all that we are doing as a part in the spiritual journey of a person Christian or going to become Christian, then we begin to see all of life as a discipleship journey. Mm-hmm. And instead of trying to work against the government, governing structures, which often gets us into trouble, it discredits us, discredits the team around us, we can work with it. But not all of us are gifted politicians. I think there's a needed political quotient among our team members. So if we go in teams some members are great evangelists. Some members are great disciples. Some members ought to be good uh, politicians and our team to work with the system, to convince the system that we are there for the good of the country, for its people, and that we can truly contribute to the situation. Thank you, Matthew.
0: I was very reluctant to moderate this panel because I don't know anything about what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, <right>. uh, <laughs> I don't believe that. But I have learned so much in uh, trying to pull this together and uh, get these guys on the same panel together. And I've learned a ton. I hope you've learned a little bit too. And uh, let's give them